Jared, are you ready to think orange? Let's think orange. All right, let's think orange. So when Randy moved here, uh, I noticed he had a lot of books on his shelf, and, and he attempted to look like he was reading them often. And so I asked Randy, I said, Randy, give me, give me a book to read. Uh, pick any of them except the real fat ones, and I'll read it. Uh, and he grabbed this think orange down, and, and he started opening, and he told me the story that, that he shared with you guys last week about how he came across this book, Think Orange, and he said, how about you read it, and then let's, let's talk about it. And so over the next couple of weeks, I would read it, and, and then I got to spend a little time away, uh, just kind of outside of the office, where I got to do some, some really good and intense study, and, and I, I went back through this book, and I just started writing everything that, that I saw that, that kind of hit me in the face. And when I got back, I told Rain, what are you laughing at? It happens with me sometimes. Sometimes. Can you mute his mic? Thank you. All right. And so I don't even know where I was anymore. It's like youth group all over again. Uh, they get me sidetracked. And so I studied this, and I came back, and Randy said, hey, how about we, we co-preach that? And, and I thought that was a good idea. Today I'm learning it's not a good idea. Uh, I want to do a quick disclaimer. Randy nor I think that this book is equal or, or even we're close to the Bible. But we do think there, there was concepts that, in, that were in it that Reggie Joyner was amplifying through it that we see lined out through Scripture. The concept of church and family working together to influence the children in their lives. So as we continue to unfold this and we talk about this book, we're only talking about it in a sense as a resource, not as God's Word. Because God's Word is great. And it's bigger than any of us can ever understand. But along the way, people kind of help us get a glimpse of it. And so as we begin today, I want to talk about with this, this book, I want to re-intro this idea of Think Orange. And so you have these two things coming together to work as one. They call this synergy. Where one plus one equals three. It doesn't quite make sense, but it happens. You can see this oftentimes with like peanut butter and jelly. You take peanut butter and you take jelly, you put them together, you got one of the greatest lunches ever served over the last several hundred years, right? You take guacamole and chips and some miracle takes place <laughs> when you put the two together. Or guacamole and fajitas. Or guacamole and you just name it. <laughs> Let's go get some guacamole after this. But this whole concept of synergy, of the two working together as one, but the key is they both play their own role. If peanut butter tried to be jelly, peanut butter and jelly would not taste good. It would just be jelly. So it tastes the two playing their own unique role, their own unique part. And so as this, this look at this color, we're thinking, think orange, yellow represents church, the light. But why not think green? Why has it got to be red? Randy, why has it got to be red? Red represents the kingdom. Turn me back on. <laughs> And it represents the heart. 
And as we discussed last week and as Jared has alluded to this morning, when you take yellow and red and you bring it together, you get orange. And I want to begin this morning by reminding us of, of four uh, principles. We alluded to these last week and we'll continue uh, to emphasize all four of these points as this series uh, continues. But nothing is more important than someone's relationship with God. You know, we emphasize a lot of things in our lives, and we emphasize a lot of things to our children. But the most important thing that we can emphasize to our children, or really to anyone, is their relationship with their Creator. A second principle. No one has more potential to influence a child's relationship with God than a parent. And we're going to see this illustrated as this lesson continues uh, this morning. Principle number three. What parents do for their children is not as important as what they leave in their children. Now think about that one for just a minute. Parents, grandparents... Any of us who have had opportunity to um, have a relationship with a child or with children. That what we do for them is not as important as what we are able to leave within them. And then finally, God uses family to share his story. And, and we see this reiterated all through Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see it in specific uh, historical context. We see it in the Psalms. We see Jesus as he interacted with children. We see it in the writings of Paul and Peter and the rest of the New Testament. But one of the, the first places in Scripture where we see this is Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy 6 becomes one of the, the key text in this whole series. Now what's interesting to me about Deuteronomy 6, at least since the 1st of December, this is the third time we have taught this text at Lamar Avenue. You might remember our winter quarter adult Sunday morning curriculum. Uh, the theme was loving God. And in the very first lesson, the very first text of that curriculum was Deuteronomy 6. And then two weeks ago, when we concluded our series of lessons on restore all things, we finished with Mark chapter 12. And if you were here two weeks ago, you might remember that Jesus was approached by this individual and was asked, what is the most important or greatest commandment in all of God's law? And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and then adds Leviticus 19, 18. So, this is an important text. And it's a text that we can't go to enough. It is a text that that we just sang, and thank you, Stephen, uh, for leading uh, that hymn. So turn to Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. And before I turn things back over uh, to Jared this morning, I want to make three points from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord 
is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. From these few verses, we see three things. We are called, we are challenged, we are being encouraged with three things. First of all, from this text, there is a call to listen. The very first word is the word hear. I think the word here is found some 40 times in the book of Deuteronomy. And as you know, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. And so anytime you hear the word or see the word here in uh, Deuteronomy, God's people are being challenged to listen. But it's more than just audibly hearing some words. To hear, to listen in Deuteronomy is tantamount to obeying. To hear God's word and then not respond was to be disobedient. And so when we hear God's word, the call, the challenge, the commitment involved is to be obedient. But not only is there a call to hear or to listen, there is also a call to love. And that's really the gist of this text. To love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. Now this morning and through the rest of this series, we especially want to emphasize the word heart. Heart is listed first. And so heart should take priority for us. What does it mean to love God with all of our heart? Well, normally, we kind of think of, of the heart as being the seed of our emotions. We love someone with all of our heart. And certainly, uh, for a Hebrew, there is this idea uh, of emotions dwelling within our hearts. But also included is the concept of thinking or the mind. And that may be why when Jesus quotes this text three times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he adds the word mind. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the heart for a Jewish person was more than just emotion. It was also thinking. It was dwelling on some things. So to love God with all of our heart is to love Him emotionally, to think about what He has uh, told us to do, and to respond appropriately. But there's one more challenge uh, in this text, and this is where parents, this is where family uh, becomes involved. Not only is there a call to listen, a call to love, but there is also a call, parents, to impress the Word of God upon our children. 
Now, what does the word impress mean? Well, the word impress is literally to sharpen or to whet. And it's, it's the idea of, of repetition, of repeating some things. And so to impress upon our children is to sharpen our children, to reiterate some things to our children. And what is it we are impressing upon them? What is it we are repeating? What is it we are reiterating to them? Well, it's the Word of God. It's God's love for us and the love that we should have in return to God. And so we kind of come back almost full circle. And we make the point uh, once again of the importance of the heart. Uh, an example of this is found in Daniel chapter 1. You know the story. Verse 8 says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. That's the NIV. The New American Standard Bible reads, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. But a literal translation would be, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Again, the importance of the heart the importance of loving God with all of our heart. And so that is why Solomon would write in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And so parents, again, remember just how much influence you have upon your children. We thought we were only going to have Luke and Lindsay and Jet for two nights this past week. So we load up and we take them to the airport on Monday evening. They have a 550 flight. We drop them off at 4.30. We say goodbye. We're 15 minutes out of the airport. My phone rings. Luke says, Dad, can you come back and get us? I booked the wrong date. <clears throat> he didn't miss it by one day. He didn't miss it by one week. He missed it by two weeks. He bought tickets for April the 22nd, and it was April the 8th. Right. Well, we're kind of thrilled. We're happy because we drive back home, and they rebooked them for a Wednesday evening flight. And so the plan was for Lori uh, to drive them uh, to the airport, drop them off, and be back in time Wednesday evening, in order to uh, teach her Bible class on Wednesday night. Fortunately, before we left, they received word from Spirit Airlines that all flights to Dallas had been canceled. They couldn't rebook them until last night. So we got them the whole week. We really wish Luke and Lindsay would have just kind of gone driven home and just left Jet, but that's a different story. So one thing I've learned this week, as a dad, you never stop being a parent. Even if they're married and have a child of their own, son, would you please pick up after yourself? <laughs> you know, this, you're not a teen anymore, you know. And, and here's, here's the point. Parents, grandparents, never, ever forget 
you never, ever stop being a parent. It, you're, you're always there. And that influence continues. Now, in, in Joyner's book, Think Orange, he suggests that to, to illustrate just how much influence a family has or parents have on their children, 3,000 hours versus what typically the church might have to 40 hours. And he bases the 40 hours on one, one hour a week on a Sunday or maybe uh, 30 to 45 minutes in an assembly and um, allowing for sickness and vacations and busyness. I think we do better than that with our children. But even if, even if you add 20 or 30 hours, you still see a pretty wide difference in how many hours parents spend with their children versus the church. Randy, I think you're having a hard time getting this point across. Why? Because I'm sitting there and I just feel like you're having a hard time getting this point across. So okay, if you can let, do better. Let me help Randy out real quick. All right, so in there's ping pongs that they list, ping pong balls, uh, of 40 to 3,000 ping pong balls, right? Uh, I so kind of remember that. The 3,000. And so I looked up how, many, uh, how much 3,000 ping pongs would be. And it was like 400 and something dollars. And so I had this idea of coming up with something else other than ping pong balls uh, to, to demonstrate Randy's point that he's trying to make here uh, about this comparison of how many hours a parent gets compared to how many hours a, a church or youth minister might get with, with a teenager. And then it hit me after I found the substance in which could make this object appear, uh, this lesson appear visible, I thought we should add another layer to it and dump whatever is in here on Randy and his nice suit, all right? So, yes, it's going to work. It's going to be great. Randy what? doesn't know what's in here. The only thing he asked me is, please just don't let it be wet. Are crickets wet? Is that? No. Okay. So... Teenagers, I was going to ask you to text me right now whether you would want 40 of whatever's in here dumped on him or 3,000. So I, I feel like I understand you really well. So There is no way they could text that quickly. I know, but it, we understand each other. Oh, okay. So we're going to dump. You go ahead and stand right here. Is anybody with me? Is this a good idea? Let's raise our hand. This is a good idea. They think it's a great idea. It's better okay. not be wet. It's not wet. Crickets aren't wet. <laughs> Nor are frogs. Just, so, just no snakes. To amplify the fact that, don't look in here. To amplify the fact that parents get so much more time. Imagine that I just dumped just 40 items of something on him. And it didn't really make a whole lot of mess. Uh, it didn't really look all that great, but if we did 3,000, that was fun. Can we clean it up and do it again real quick? Really, 3,000? That's 3,000. We counted them out. My wife, my daughter, my son, and I counted 3,000 out. And wow. so 
40, 40 isn't really all that much, but 3,000. If I get your kid 40 hours in a year, how much really influence can I have compared to what you get with your kid in a year? 3,000 hours, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with that time? When I think of Scripture, I think of how Jesus interacted with people. And I think of times when, when somebody's name was mentioned. Their father was named. A parent was named. If you go to the book of Matthew at the very beginning, it's got this genealogy that's taken place. And yes, I think the Jewish leaders needed that, the Jewish people needed that to, to make sure that Jesus' pedigree was, was right on. But as you're reading that in Matthew, as these names come up, as you're looking down this list, something else starts to spark your mind. It's story. People's stories. What went on as, as you read their names, story starts to leap off the pages and into our minds and into our hearts as the reader or as the listener. These names, these families, they represent story. But most importantly, in, in, in the genealogy here of Jesus in Matthew 1, it's representing God's story. So I think in those 3,000 hours, we have the best and perfect ability to invite our children into story, but not just a story, into God's story. A lot of you know that before I came here, uh, I worked at a children's home. My wife and I, we, we grew up at, at different times there. She, we kind of overlapped just a little bit. Her parents were house parents. My parents were house parents at one time. I hung out with her brother. I was too good for her. Uh, Y'all know that's not true. But we were able to have a lot of neat friends over the years. I would sit at a dinner table, and it wouldn't just be me and my sister, my mom and dad. It would be us four plus eight more. At times in her, her family's life, it would be their, their four and plus 12 more at the table. You had to get your food quick. I would have friends that I would meet over the years from all different backgrounds and walks of life. Later on, I would become the minister out there at, at, at this children's home. And I would get to go to training after training, week after week. And in that training, we would learn different skills and abilities to help kids learn behavior. There was the STEPS program, there was the Circle of Courage, there was the demerit program, which was closer to the, what, what kids grew up when I was there. They would get demerits and have to work them off for, for bad behavior. There was love and logic. There was, there was this grading program where, where we sat down each night and we graded every kid on every behavior, whether their room was clean, how they interacted with peers, how they interacted with adults. It was just over and over again, we were constantly trying to learn how to work with these kids. And over time, we started noticing something. Dramatic pause while I get a drink. We started noticing something. That these kids were learning how to act. They were learning how to act. You want them... To clean the room, they, they could figure that out and do that in order to get the, the privileges they wanted. You wanted them to act a certain way, dress a certain way, talk a certain way, 
they could act well. We were missing something. We were missing capturing their hearts. Because when they would leave us and they would go on to, to other places or they would graduate out, their behavior went back to whatever it was before we were teaching them how to act. So over time, they, they started learning how to, to, to try to work with this. And we got connected with a woman named Karen Purvis, who out of TCU, she started doing this study because they were noticing a lot of failed adoptions from these places in, in foreign countries, particularly Russia, where these kids would, would grow up in this orphanage with several hundred in a small orphanage with only a few women tending to them. During their time of, of infancy, at, at their most vulnerable state of life, they would stay in these cribs during the day They'll only be taken out to be changed or fed quickly and then put back in because the ladies had to go to other children. And so these kids would be adopted by, by these wonderful people back here in the States who would want to just jump into these kids' lives, but, but they were having a hard time figuring out what to do. Because as these kids started getting older, they were, they were developing some issues of, of connection. And so Karen Purvis and, and her group of people started learning, what can we do? And as I was thinking about this, this point in my lesson this week, it hit me in the face that we have a family that has, has gone through this this last couple of years. The Geralds, they went and they rescued their son, Shepard, who you saw up here having a blast who last week called out one of his buddies to say, hey, you need to be down here too and sing with us. But there was a letter that was written to some friends and some family by Mandy and, and Stephen. I believe Mandy actually was the, was the author of it. And I want to share with you a piece of this letter, not all of it. But I want you to listen closely to what Mandy and Gerald were trying to do as they were bringing Shepard home. As she began, she's talking about Shepard. In his short life, he has already experienced far more loss than most of us will in our entire lifetimes. Something we all have to understand going forward. In our world, he would have grown safely in his mother's womb as she received all the necessary parental care. The voices he heard for those nine months would be the same ones singing to him and rocking him to sleep every night. Unfortunately, none of this was true for our shepherd. When we bring Shepherd home, his whole world will change. Our home will smell different. It will sound different. The food will taste different. And most dramatically, his new caregivers will be strangers. These differences will be overwhelming for him. Normalizing these differences will require working intensely with him for several months to lay a foundation of what it means to have family. A permanent mama, daddy, and big brother is a big change from a revolving set of nannies. And so our parenting will look quite different for a little while. The first part of Shepherd's healing 
will be a process that people in the adoption world refer to as cocooning. We are going to huddle in as our, fa- our small family unit and begin to form attachments to one another. This means spending a lot of time at home. We will do our best to keep the environment calm, stable, and comforting. Only the two of us will be holding, feeding, changing, bathing, and comforting him. We will be wearing him in a baby carrier a lot. This is all to teach Shepherd that we are his primary caregivers. As these small acts are repeated, Shepherd will learn to trust and embrace his new family. We will are basically starting from the very beginning, and many of our actions will mirror how we would care for a newborn. This will help from that critical attachment necessary for all parent and child relationships. If he is ever to form bonds and healthy relationships with each of us, you, and even further friends and a wife, it is critical that he learns to create a bond with us first. Mandy. That letter to me when I got it just amplified what God is constantly trying to do with us. See, they just weren't bringing a kid from a, a, another country home and going to just start taking care of them and, and teach them how to read, how to write, how to eat, when to, when to sleep, when to go to bed, where his bed was, how to interact with people, how to sit still on stage. <laughs> they weren't just doing that. They were bringing a child home And in that moment, they were saying, we are going to capture our son's heart. We're going to capture it. We're going to to seek with everything we got his heart and allow him to know that he is deeply loved. Because when he does, we invite him in the story. And if our stories are part of God's story, we invite him into God's story. Amen. We have 3,000 hours to do that, to capture our children's hearts, not make them happy, not make sure they're at the every sporting event that they need to, but to capture the hearts, to take pictures like this, to sit in the yard and play catch with them, to be in the kitchen cooking with them, to sitting down having talks about their day, We're called to capture their hearts. See, when I was was starting being a a father myself, there was a moment in which I thought I was doing really good. In fact, I thought I was doing a lot better than Christy, you know? I was kind of proud of myself. Because I had training. I had read books. I had gone to staff meetings and trainings and learn love and logic to learn steps program to learn the circle of courage and I knew my role as a dad was going to be to protect and provide but I was missing something I was lacking one great thing See, oftentimes in Scripture, Jesus is, is interacting with people, and there's some people that he particularly comes up to that are untouchable. They're just, he, he doesn't, nobody wants to touch them. 
And he has the ability to heal with his words, but with those people, he places a touch on them. It's seen throughout Scripture how how when a father would bless his child, when a blessing was to be made, that there was some significant touch, a kiss, there was a physical interaction there. If you remember the story in Luke that I brought up last week of the prodigal son, at a distance, this, this son starts going back home because he knows he needs to get back home. That's the only place where he can survive. And he thinks, at best, he can be a servant. And at a distance, as he's coming up, the father sees him, and the father runs at him. And I never really paid attention to this part before. But what's the father do? He touches him. He wraps him. He pursues his son with his heart, with everything he's got. He pursues him. And just like that, God pursues us. God's after us. God's after our hearts. So, when we take our 3,000 hours, and we spend those hours trying to capture our children's hearts, we invite them into story. Specifically, God's story. And today, God has invited you into story. And if you feel lost like that son, I want you to know God's going to run to you. He's going to wrap you up in his arms. He's not going to say, hey, wait a minute. Go get cleaned up. Go get your stuff together. Get some new clothes. Act right. He's going to say, come here. I got you. And all your filth. He's going to love on you. And then he's going to put a robe on you and a ring. And we're going to celebrate. So if you have a need for walking to God and just feeling his presence, You can come during this time as we stand and sing.